High Well Trust podcast, presented by Roshin O'Hagan and Jared Dean. Welcome to our special on the Hollywell Stew 2. During this podcast, you're going to hear four pitches from the Hollywell Stew event that took place on the 14th of June. We're going to hear from the Arabridge, Neighbourliness, Kinship Care and Emojinet projects. Okay, everybody. Business end of the evening and all that. I'm delighted to welcome Joe Bird, who's going to talk about the Arabridge project. And thank you very much to the Hollywell Trust for hosting such an excellent stew. Um, my name's Jo Bird and I'm the voluntary manager of the Arabic Cafe. We're a solidarity enterprise. We aim to help everybody to integrate with Arabic refugees. The story of the Arabic Cafe started six years ago with the civil war in Syria, the brutal war there. It's caused five million people to flee their homes and their homeland. I find it hard to forget little Alan Kurdi, whose body was washed up on the shores of the Mediterranean two years ago. And public protests prompted the government to allow 2,000 refugees to enter the UK from Syria. And 12 families out of that allocation came to this city one year ago. That's 48 people. And three babies have been born here in that time. The arrival of the Syrian families was a brilliant catalyst for people from Derry and Londonderry to come together. The peoples of this city said loudly, refugees are welcome here. And we showed it through street protests, cash collections, welcome packs, pop-up cafes and cultural events. The families were provided with housing in the city side, healthcare, education and relative safety. Who here has met anybody from Syria? Yeah, great. The Syrian adults want to work, but our new friends were not given much in terms of training or work experience. Often people get jobs through family and friends, right? But by definition, refugees don't have extended family here. So what do we do? Well, the pop-up Arabic cafe events really stood out for me. 200 people showed a really strong appetite for Arabic food. And as a business advisor myself, Syrian people kept asking me to start up a regular Arabic cafe for them to work in. So I talked with a lot of different people, wrote a business plan, crowdfunded, and then the Nerve Centre kindly offered to host us for the last eight Thursdays. So we've run a pop-up Arabic cafe for the last eight Thursdays. And going forward, I'm really pleased to announce that the Hollywell Trust have invited us to cater for some events here, and also the Culture Land are sharing their cafe with us uh, on Saturday evenings. We're going to run a series of special events there. So our next pop-up cafe is going to be next Thursday, the 22nd of June, part of the Hollywell Trust Civic Activism Project, and everybody is welcome for the lunchtime. (coughs) The Arabic Cafe serves fresh, healthy and affordable Arabic food, We had some of the delicious dates that you had samples of on your table tonight. And we also sell the best falafel for 100 miles. It's much more than a cafe. It's a unique meeting place that makes solidarity real. Over 200 customers have have eaten our food already. Customers like yourself. Um, Anybody here been to the Arabic cafe so far? Yeah, there's a few. Thanks. You'd be very welcome. Our team couldn't come to the evening tonight because they're mostly uh, fasting for Ramadan, so they're just too tired by the end of the day. Other things that the Arabic Cafe has achieved, well, uh, 15 Syrian people have gained their first qualification in the UK, level two in food hygiene. 
My friend Janda, she's loving her first ever work experience. Sweet Halva is supplied by Muzaffa, who had to leave his dairy factory behind. A regular group learned Arabic language from a Syrian teacher. A guy called Billy brought in a, a PC computer that's now being used by Rami, who's a journalist from Syria. Hasina had a traditional henna party before her wedding, and we barely danced to fundraise over £100 to send to refugees in Greece. But the Arabic cafe is running at a small loss, and we need cash to become more sustainable in the long term. So if we win your support today, then we will invest in marketing materials, equipment and training tomorrow and next week. We need to attract more customers through professional printed leaflets. And for the Hollywell Trust and catering events, we need the hot food equipment that, of the kind that you've seen outside today. Thank you. Okay, so there's space now for four questions. If anybody wants to ask a question, just stick your hand up and I'll run down with the microphone. Joe, hi. Um, I'm just wondering what you'll do with the money if you win it this evening. Thanks very much. I thought I might run out of time, so I planted a question. (laughs) 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 And just to finish that, so as we grow, we'll also need to train a manager with level three food hygiene qualification. And that will round off how we'll spend the money. And thank you very much for listening to me and to joining us on together on a journey from Syria to safety and long-term livelihoods in city. Thank you. Okay, it was a bit crafty, but we'll say no. <laughs> Anybody else got a question that hasn't been planted? What marketing plans would you have to let um, the, the young people in that, as well as people that are here that would come to the Hollowell or have been to it before? How would you mm-hmm. let people outside of that group know about it? Yeah, Grant, our, our main marketing is, is uh, through Facebook. Um, and we've been able to do that because it's quite quick, cheap and easy. But if we w- win today, we'd have more time and resources to put into things like Instagram. Um, maybe having like events in a young person's venue that, um, that would be more attractive and to consult with people about how best to reach a whole range and diverse network of people. Well done, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. We have Mary Kerrigan, who's going to talk about her project, Neighbourliness. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Mary, and I'm growing a popular movement called Neighbourliness. It's a grassroots movement. And our vision is distinctive, connected communities of delight. The place that I was born into has been just torn apart in my lifetime. Didn't happen on its own. And it was nothing much to do with the troubles. It was about housing renewal, town planning and traffic engineering. And today, the centre of Enniskillen has nobody living there. And the new housing is private housing on this hilltop and social housing on that hilltop and you need a car to get from A to B. It's a segregated place, physically, culturally and socially. So why does that matter to me? I'm five years old in the back of the car on the way to school, primary school, and I noticed all this dust and rubble and I said to my father, "What's what's going on over there? He says, they're knocking down Mary Street and Abbey Street. And I was way too young to know 
that this was the beginning of the end for every single one of Enniskillen's side streets, where most people lived. Today, as I say, they're on the hilltops and nobody in the town centre. Fast forward 50 years. 2016, two elderly brothers, William and Daniel McCarthy, are living in their own home in Dublin. William is deaf and Daniel's his carer. Daniel dies. William doesn't know what to do or who to contact. A week later, William is dead as well with his brother lying beside him. It's another week before either of them is discovered. Alarm bells. This is the canary in the coal mine of Ireland's journey to social disconnection. The research is telling us that we are hardwired to connect with each other and that when we can't do that, the cost for our physical and mental health is equivalent to obesity or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We know that kills us. It killed William McCarthy. He didn't have to die because Daniel died. I could be William, you could be William. It doesn't have to be like that. Last year, I invited 20 of my neighbours to gather to explore the possibility of a street party in our Seven Streets neighbourhood. And on the hottest, warmest Saturday in the summer, a hundred of us, including 20 of our newest community in the city, the Syrian refugees, gathered and we together co-created the most magical afternoon. There was Syrian dancing in the street, Irish dancing in the street, singing in the street. And that evening, my neighbour, Marie Dunn, who's here, said the presence of the Syrians was the icing on the cake. What made that possible? Seven streets of attached housing as terraces interconnected with each other. A fantastic park and a corner shop where we meet and bump into each other regularly. And three open and trusting people who took up the invitation to explore that possibility. What difference is that making? What difference is that making? Neighbours are telling me it's cementing relationships between us. We know each other better. We're all much more active as citizens, including the children. And we're sharing our gifts, skills and talents much more freely with each other. We're supporting those who live on their own in times of need. So the difference that this grant will make for neighbourliness is it will create the possibility to convene the conversations that we need to share the stories and learning from our Seven Streets feasts. Fair play. Okay, any questions? Same as always. She might have planted a question. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference that the, the grant will make will be, it'll make it possible for me to grow neighbourliness beyond the seven streets of my own neighbourhood where, where I live and work and to convene, uh, to basically hire the venues, um, get the word out, the, the e-flyers, the leaflets, to invite um, people to a series of conversa- conversations across the city um, I mean, if the budget, if the grant is about 600, I think that could be about three or four conversations. And that'll be an opportunity to share the stories of what we've been doing over the last couple of years, because we had our second Seven Streets Feast last Saturday. So we've got, you know, we've got a bit of experience now in how to do this. And um, several of my co-creative neighbours are here. 
So the learning that we have is something we want to share because the difference it's making is really palpable. Anybody else? What areas are you going to target now? And also, are these areas that have community centres and do they not take some responsibility for coordinating neighbourship and friendliness within areas? Yeah, Um, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, First of all, I think we will probably grow this among our own networks, we'll put it out into our, our, our existing networks, so just let it go out from the networks we have. So it's not about targeting a particular neighbourhood or street or whatever. It's kind of just letting it filter out naturally. Um, I think that what's interesting for us is we don't have a community centre as such that does this for us. So we did it ourselves. We did it using all our gifts, skills and talents by building on the strengths that we already have. In terms of money, it cost us £60 last year and it cost us £95 this year. And everything else came from us. We contributed our own food, we made desserts, we made dinners, we made all sorts of things. We borrowed the tables, we, borrowed, we brought our own dishes. And so I think there's a lot we can do ourselves. It's great to have the community organisations, obviously, um, but there's an awful lot we can do ourselves with very, very little money. And the, the, I suppose the camaraderie, the fun, even in the planning and the conversations that we had to make it happen, the, the relationship building that went on and the sense of like doing it for yourselves, for ourselves, has really brought out our own creativity. We've learned so much about what each of us can do. And people have really surprised us. We've surprised ourselves. Just a very nosy question, Mary. What are the what are the seven streets? The seven streets are well. If I'm really being honest, it's five. <laughs> but but we have we have five streets, but some of the streets have different names on each side. So that made seven. So that was the seven from last year, and then this year we included Mountjoy Terrace and Crawford Square. So it really is seven, but we've got nine nine different names so we're kind of playing with the seven bit it's it's um deberg deberg square deberg terrace stewart's terrace charlotte's crescent de moylan park nicholson square nicholson terrace and now mountjoy Mountjoy terrace and crawford square and we had people of across three generations from all of those streets involved on saturday and our afters party was nearly better than the actual party because we were all out in the street until I don't know what time in the night. Um, again, across three generations, and every single street was represented. So this was a step up from last year, because it was so socially mixed across generations. So that was one of the high point moments for me. Okay, Mary, thank you. Well done. Next week on the Hollywell Testimony Series. Maureen Wilkinson is a well-known local actress. In this interview, she speaks about how her work in the theatre helped her deal with the most harrowing of circumstances. Because I thought of this week, yeah, because I love her baby, without her partner, suffered the grief of loss, and her partner lost her home because she couldn't go back. Went back to school, got her nursing degree, and is now nursing. I thought, how do you marry sitting and wallow in self-pity? And I thought, no, I'm not doing this. And that's another way I wanted to get back into my drama. Missed an episode? Then why don't you search for all our podcasts on our SoundCloud.com page. Just search for Hollywell Trust. Or on Apple Podcasts, search for Hollywell Trust. Jackie Williamson from Kinship Care.
Hi folks. Um, my name is Jacqueline Williamson and I set up the award-winning charity uh, Kinship Care Northern Ireland. So Kinship Care is an arrangement where a child lives with and is cared for by extended family members. This includes grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters and also family friends. Our team of staff and volunteers and our Kinship Care Support Service, which is just based down the street in Carlisle Road, supports some of the most amazing uh, children, young people and families ever. So in the last seven years, we've helped and supported, built the confidence, self-esteem and resilience of 800 kinship cares and almost 750 children and young people. However, this is only a fraction of the number of children and young people living in kinship care, which is estimated to be around 10,000 to 12,000 um, and growing every year. The issue of kinship care is actually quite close to my heart. As a small child, my sister and I were cared for by my granny. A few months after coming to live with my granny, she died and my sister and I were taken to a local children's home. So I spent the next 14 years travelling from one children's home to the next and I attended 11 different schools. And so my experience of care, however, was very good and I'm grateful for that. It is actually 24 years since I've left care and I'm doing great. My sister, however, was less fortunate. At the age of 38, she died after developing problems with alcohol and I became a kinship care to my then seven-year-old niece. So children and young people in kinship care haven't had the easiest start to life and many of the youngsters that come through our organisation for support have experienced a considerable level of trauma and this includes neglect and abuse. Research suggests that children in kinship care have a similar profile to children that are living in the public care system. 66% of children in kinship care have been abandoned by their parents. 34% have witnessed the death of one or both of their parents. And as well as this, children in kinship care are twice as likely to live in poverty compared to children living with their own parents. Children say that they lack confidence, they feel anxious and uncertain about what the future holds. And we are here to support them rebuild their lives so they're, they're likely to thrive and succeed. Two years ago, 39 children in kinship care worked alongside a local publisher to develop a storybook called Cuddles Goes to Live with His Granny. And so this book, and that's copy of it, um, has made a huge difference to youngsters who are finding it extremely difficult to come to terms with the complexity of their family situation. The storybook now is in every library and every primary school in Northern Ireland. And so this evening, I'm absolutely delighted to introduce and to share with you all our Cuddles Filling Wall Charts. And these are just hot off the press. So, if you look at the Filling's Wall Charts, there's different emotions down the side. Children can use the three little bears that they get alongside the wall chart to, to say how they're feeling. And so these wall charts are targeted at children aged between 4 and 10 years who are being cared for extend by extended family members or friends. And they're designed to help children to express how they're feeling to build trust in and positive relationships with their, their families and their carers, and also to help children open up and talk about their earlier life experiences. In addition to that, the wall charts promote healthy attachments between children and their families, and ultimately they improve the life chances of youngsters who have experienced a considerable amount of loss at a very early stage in their lives. So each one of these wall charts costs £1.20 to produce. With your vote tonight, tomorrow morning we're going to get up, and we're going to actually print and distribute 400 of these wall charts to children living in kinship care here locally.
Thank you. Okay. Any questions? Uh, Jack, I was just wondering, how do you fit in with the statutory authorities that responsibility to look after children in those positions? Do you liaise with them? Or are you separate to or additive to them? Or do you think you're getting enough help from the statutory authorities? Uh, we don't get a penny from government, um, and we never have done. And in actual fact, we're quite proud of the fact that we've never received any money from government because it means that we can stand up for children in kinship care and not worry about social services removing money or anything of the like. We do receive um, referrals from social services because there's two different strands of kinship care. So you've got children that have been removed from parents by social services and placed with extended family members. And then you have informal arrangements where I would agree with you about the care and upbringing of your child outside of social services. So yes, and and the majority of children are living in informal arrangements. However, I will say that over half of youngsters looked after children here in the Western Trust are living with extended family members. It's a greater greater, uh, care arrangement than children in foster care at the moment. Thank you, Jackie. Well done. Last project this evening is uh, EmojiNet and its promoter, Emmett Rice. All right, how are you doing? Um, my name's Emmett, and I'm not really from any organisation. I just live here in the town. I live down the Strand Road, actually, and I spend a bit of time on the quay from time to time having a walk up and down it. So uh, I know this is quite of a motive um, conversation for a lot of people about I'm going to talk to you and I'm not, I wouldn't pretend to be an expert on it and, and you know I'm, I'm open to uh, hear what other people have to say about the subject but basically my idea is like um, or people in the town couldn't have been unaware of the events that happens you know people committing suicide at the, on, down the foil basically and it struck me in a conversation at work we were chatting and people were saying well look maybe we can prevent this from happening by constructing some sort of barrier I know that the government and statutory agencies had said, well, look, it's going to be too expensive to create this buyer, and it's not practical, and it's too costly, and all, all the rest of it. So I thought to myself, well, maybe there is something. You know, I'm sure we could put in other preventative steps and around the foil. And I thought, well, why not throw up like an emotional net around the place where maybe inspirational messages or pictures or images where people walking around, somebody's in a dark place and they're, they're thinking in, in dark terms, and they're walking along in a certain direction, and all of a sudden they stumble across this sort of inspirational piece on the foil, and all of a sudden they, it changes their mindset and turns them around and sends them in a, a different direction and prevents them from committing uh, suicide. So that, that was basically the idea in a nutshell, really. And uh, I thought to myself, well, it's not really for an individual to do that because you, you don't really understand enough about it and I thought, you know, this is a wider community to decide. This is for the people that I decide. And part of the project idea was then to get people involved in it. And maybe like a forum like the Hollywood Trust would facilitate such a program. But basically to invite then other statutory organisations, community groups that are working with suicide prevention, and maybe getting some of the, the victims themselves or the families of victims involved in it to try and generate ideas about what would be effective as a suicide prevention sort of strategy around the foil. And obviously you could get involved with foil search and rescue and try to identify the kind of hot spots where people are jumping in. And at those key locations, you could install this installation, really, this inspirational sort of piece that we were trying to put on. 
Because it, it isn't for one person they, they decide that, because it doesn't really matter where you're from, if you're from uh, Kilfenan or Craigan or from Colmore or the Strand Foya, it affects all tiers of our society. And I think as a community, it's something that we need to kind of address, even though people look at it, it's kind of a t taboo topic. So it's about bringing it out into the open and making people aware that it's something that they can discuss and uh, hopefully do something about it. So my project, as I was saying, um, would be basically then to consult with people, to ask questions, find out the relevant, find out what would, what would be effective, what would work. Then after that, to create it, and then they actually install this installation. So it would be a free kind of tier strategy, like they create, consult, create, and install. So some people think, well, that's kind of naive here, what you're thinking. Do you know what I mean? And if you, you're not going to catch a shark with a butterfly net kind of thing. But maybe if you wave a butterfly net on a shark's face, it would make them change their direction. And that's really what it's all about. It's about changing mindsets and, and addressing a problem in our community at the moment. So the idea is to that maybe at some stage, maybe in the next couple of years or whatever, if we, if we did get something installed, that maybe you would meet somebody in the future who would turn around and say to you, well, look, you know what, hey, I was walking down there, and I, I stumbled across that, and I actually turned around and I walked away, and it changed my life's direction. And maybe that could be your brother, your son, another member of your family. You just don't know, but that would be great for one person in the future to have turned around from that point. Okay. Emmett, what kind of uh, form would this take? Would it be plaques? Would it be um, maybe a projection? Or what exact form would you think this emotional net should take? Well, that's, that's a million dollar question, really, what form it would take. And that would be part of a consultation program uh, to identify what would work. But I uh, definitely some sort of inspirational messages. And the thing about it is, too, when I say it about a community project, because when I started to talk about this to people, everybody I met had their own idea about what would work. I met Delma here, who wrote a beautiful poem about, an inspirational poem about the River Foyle. Other people have said to me, well, if you do something like that, you have to illuminate it at night. Other people have said, I've already thought of this, and we thought about putting hope boxes around the place or having people there in place. So the project, I know you're thinking, well, what's this guy going to do with it? But what I'm saying is what we need to do is, as a community is to get together and decide, well, what can we do about it? What would work as a preventative step to prevent suicide in our communities? So... It would be something permanent, something, uh, hopefully, immunity vandalism and all the rest of it, but just something that would trigger or change a mindset. Anybody else? Hey, Emma, thank you. It's an excellent idea. Um, you, so you're at the early stages then of development of this um, idea that you have. Is that correct? Is that correct understanding? Uh, that, that's right. That is the, that is the, the idea is they, they create the idea. Uh -huh. So after you got the £500 from here, have you... Sort of got partnerships in place to take it forward because I'm assuming there's going to be costs of a lot more than five hundred pound to get this this up and running. So have you, you know, is there uh, a strategy no, in place? Sorry, no, there's not a strategy in place, and that's always like I'm shooting myself in the foot. But <laughs> what I call it, there isn't a strategy in place. But that's the whole that's the whole idea. It is they put a strategy in place, they develop it. And what I didn't want, I didn't say, I didn't mention, but I, I work on the the local tech, and uh, we've I've already been discussing it through like a student union event where the art students. 
and perhaps the people working down Springtown would volunteer their time to create something that that we have suggested. But it's going to it's going to cost in terms of materials, and you know even uh, I'm sure everybody's going to volunteer their time to it. But I think that the main part of the money is going to be spent on actually the materials and the construction of the actual project idea. From what you're saying is that you want to put out messages of hope for those that's thinking about suicide. Would that be correct? That's it in a nutshell. I basically I. Now, I know from talking to people in the past, they've, they've told me, well, a lot of people, you know, going on, are committing suicide in the foil, or maybe uh, have had a few drinks taken, or they've been under influence of drugs. So I do you realise that a lot of people who are at that point aren't necessarily going to stop and be, you know, be inspired by something like that. But at the same time, people who've been on that journey or on that dark path, perhaps, it's not going to be the first time they're on the foil. They might they might have seen something, and it's really a preventative thing. I don't really think, and that's what I meant by the butterfly and shark. I don't think you're going to necessarily stop somebody who's at the airport to jump on. But there, there's there's government agencies, there's police, voice search and rescue who's going to identify that. But this is really a preemptive, pre- preventative strategy for people who are on that path. You know, who are down that road and they have a weight of word on their shoulders, and then just someone plants a seed in their head and just turn just turns things around. Just that seed grows, and as a project too, like hopefully, like even if we didn't get any funding for this tonight, that it would be plants a seed where all our organisations could come on board and we could just try and create something beautiful. Last chance for a question. Fair play. Well done, Eamon. This is an episode of the Hollywell Trust Testimony Series or Hollywell Podcast, where you can catch up on our on-demand service both on Apple Podcasts and at SoundCloud.com. You can catch up with episodes such as the Derek Murr Testimony. Uh, the flag was a week after the relief parade here in the city, and Simon Mowbray, the conductor of the Churchill, stood up at the, before they played the first thing and says, this first tune we're going to play, we played it for the first time last Saturday at the Apprentice Boys Parade. And it doesn't even cause a ripple. You know, it doesn't cause a security worries and all that was at the start. You know, how's it going to look? You know, bands coming and they cross from the guild hall, they, they, you know, with bass drums and uniforms and stuff. Just doesn't even materialize. The Hollywell Stew Special Number One. Extern have been working with children and young people for almost 40 years. This is actually our 39th year. And we have always been quite innovative and try to find interesting ways to engage young people. So we're trying to build peace by bringing children together from both sides of the community um, to go on a trip to Legoland. The project is called Learn More, Use Less and it is a guide to reducing your risk to everyday environmental toxins. The artwork then will be displayed throughout various points of our city for people still remaining in those abusive relationships and the very popular testimony interview with James King and Eamon O'Donnell. Another woman came by and said, you'll never be bored. Yeah. What, how, we are never bored. We are never bored. We never, never, never bored. Download and stream these episodes for free on our SoundCloud page. Just go to soundcloud.com and look for Hollywell Trust. Or on our Apple Podcast page, just look for Hollywell Trust. Okay, so um, when the Stu event was happening, we had the opportunity to talk to some investors while people were doing their voting. So we're going to hear from them now. 
um, emoji net. Um, mainly just because I think the the topic of suicide in this town is such a rife topic. Like there's a, like there's a lot of emotion attached to it. So I just think it's one of those things, and like mental health is really important to me as well. So I think it's just one of those things that just stuck out with with me. Thanks um, up here. I think it's a good idea. Because um, they seem to have a definite idea. Like they've already produced these vouchers. It seemed like a great idea. They're very organised and it's going to cover the cost of them. My top preference was EmojiNet. I just think that as soon as they started talking about that idea, it just resonated with me and I thought, why hasn't anybody done that before? Why aren't people even just down posting wee letters for people on the foil? Like It's just something simple and easy to do, but it might just make that difference, you know? Voted for Kinship Care. Well, I thought that they would make the best use of the limited resources. I, th- I thought all four ideas were magnificent, really, really good, and clearly worked out. But I thought they had a very specific use for the money, which you could see being used between tomorrow and the weekend. Emmett Rice for the Emoji um, new strategy for uh, suicide prevention. I just think it's um, uh, an issue that's so prevalent now, especially at teaching a boys' school. So it's uh, an issue that's really at the forefront now, and we're we're kind of at our wit's end as a, as a community to work out how to prevent it and what to do and what strategies can put on place. And I just thought this was a lovely, positive way of dealing with it and maybe just stopping somebody and maybe saving one life. I just want to say, it's very difficult choosing. That's We were just saying that it's a very difficult thing. You, you sort of feel terrible. Before we get the result, we have to do the usual thanks. First of all, thanks to our four projects who I thought were marvellous this evening. Well done. He's presented us with a challenge this evening. It was a, a very difficult, I think, to vote. But anyway, that's a good thing. Thank you all for coming along, our investors. Brilliant to see you all here this evening. You can tell the pitch was really good this evening, and that's down to Becca. Becca did a pitching training workshop with everybody, so thank you, Becca, for doing that. And then... The setup, the management, the serving, everything is down to Rajin, Una, Lisa, uh, Gemma, and Barney as well helped us with the seats today. So thank you, everybody. <laughs> the obligatory thanks now to the funders. This project, it's a wee bit like some of the projects that are pitching. We get £3,000 to do this project, which isn't a huge amount of money in the scheme of things. Um, I think we're going to have a huge impact on the community as a result of that. And it's from the, the Ireland funds. And we also get our core money from the Community Relations Council and Dairy City Council. So thanks to all our funders. <laughs> and I'm sure some of you have been interviewed already as part of our podcast. Keep an eye out for that. Download it on SoundCloud, iTunes, all the rest. And Dee has done the interviews today. Dee does our producing. Thanks to Dee for that. And fine... So, so, final thanks go to Peter. Had the task of counting the votes this evening. So, Peter, I'm going to thank you for coming along and ask you to come up and present the, the winner. Yep, thank you very much. Thanks, Jared. And I have to say, what a brilliant event it was. And I, I think this is fantastic. I think this should be repeated up and down because... Uh, This this is about uh, this is about community, isn't it? And about people saying this is what we want in our community, and then voting on it is fantastic. Uh, it's great projects as well. 
one of the things I heard out when we were starting the vote from everybody was, I don't know who to put one, two, three, and four. This is so difficult. And three or four or five people said to me, can I put all four at number one? And, of course, <laughs> the answer was, you can't. Uh, and so when we do this, and I do this uh, up and down, you uh, always look at it and say, if you achieve a 60% consensus for the winner, you've done well. Um, and a lot of projects got up and around that figure, which was uh, an indication that a lot of the different projects got number ones and twos uh, because uh, everybody thought really well of all of the projects. It was a really tight competitive race. I'm not going to say who was fourth, third and second. Uh, what I will say is it was really close, fourth, third and second, uh, but there was a clear winner. And the winner... Uh, with a consensus of 68%, and congratulations to them, was... <laughs> so before I announce it, I think we should say... Well done to the other three projects, and take a break, yes, uh, but no. The winner with uh, 68%, consensus. Congratulations to option D, EmojiNet. Well done. Well, thanks very much for showing me your, your support. And I genuinely do think of this as a, like a community effort for the people of Derry to kind of demonstrate that how we would uh, deal or how we're going to try and deal with suicide prevention. And I think, it, I think it can be a great thing, basically. And thank you very much. Thanks for your... We hope you enjoyed that. Look back at our stew too. Thanks, as always, must go to the funders of the project, the Ireland Funds, and as well as that, the funders of our podcast, the Department of Foreign Affairs, Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland, Derry City and Strabane District Council, and Building Change Trust. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages. On Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust, and on Twitter, it's at Hollywell Tea.